Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, TJ Van Toll, and with me on the panel, I have Jack Harrington. Hello. And Paige Niedrichhaus. Hey, everyone. And our special guest today is Pierre Hegfist. Oh, man, I, 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 he tried. I, he, I, I give it a good go. go. Yeah. Uh, so, Pierre, welcome to the show. Maybe you can uh, also pronounce your name for us and tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself and who you are and such. Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is Pierre Hegfist. Yeah, it's a Swedish last name, so it's a bit hard to pronounce, maybe. But yeah, I've been a developer for, yeah, like four years or so, working as a consultant for various types of clients. Yeah, but I've been like a web developer for the past 10 years. And yeah, I just enjoy like creating websites and yeah, working with clients and coming up with cool solutions. Yeah, so that's short introduction. Awesome. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. Well, so we reached out because you've got a couple interesting blog posts that I know we want to talk about. You've got a kind of spicy one on migrating from Redux to React Query that I know we want to, to dig into oh, yeah. here in a minute. But why don't we start? You have a recent article that I think is kind of interesting about storing state in the URL, which mm-hmm. is kind of a a fascinating idea. So maybe we could start with that one. And could you just give like the a high level overview for our listeners, like what sort of brought this problem about? Uh, why would you want to store state in the URL? Maybe you could just sort of explain how all of that works. Yeah, sure. So typically in websites, you might have like different forms or like filters that you, you want to filter some content or, and the idea is, if you have a complicated like filtering system, you want to make sure that the user can send a, maybe like a link um, from a certain page to a colleague who can then open the same kind of web page and, and see sort of the same or like and get the same kind of filter settings. So that's. Oh, yeah. yeah. I literally did this just last week. So what was the methodology you used? So in our like project. So w- what was the methodology? Like, uh, we, we made like a, like a React hook, basically, that will synchronize between the URL, like the query parameters that's in the URL, with a state. So it's essentially what we created was a, a custom hook that functions similarly to a use state hook, but then it also synchronized the state with the URL. Yeah, so there are some things you have to think of there, like synchronizing the kind of key and value with the state and uh, the URL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like no users can like just put in an arbitrary value and that will mess up your application. So you have to do some like input sanitation and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Oh. So nice. when you were working on this, did you ever encounter the URL limit? Because I know that that is something that if you put too, I don't remember what the, the number is, but if you put too many things into a URL query or parameter, 
it is just too long for the browser to handle. So did you have to, did you hit that limit at any time or have to work around it? No, because uh, the, the kind of, our use case didn't have that many query parameters, like only a handful of those. So in our mm-hmm. case, we never reached that kind of limit. But I do think that limit is quite high anyway. So, but yeah, definitely that's a good idea to think of if you have like uh, like really big, like huge <laughs> filter settings. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of filters. Yeah. 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 I think it's around 2K actually. It, yeah. It's massive. <laughs> I was, I just Googled it and I was looking around and it takes you to this Stack Overflow post that's 14 years old. <laughs> it's, probably, <laughs> it's probably, probably in the billions of page views, but it, yeah, it basically says like 2000 some characters is the like unofficial limit that basically everything supports. And then it gets into like crazy town of browser behavior because it's not like a standardized thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. If you're above 2000 characters, maybe consider <laughs> consider switching your approach up. Right, or, or either that or like make GUID use some API and then store off the state on a server with that GUID and then bring that back in. Yeah. You can do that if you want to have a, more of a like a persistent thing that has a larger set of data mm-hmm. on. Pierre, maybe you could <laughs> elaborate a little bit on how you made sure that the use state hook that you created was always in sync with the the query params. Was there some sort of a use effect that it was using to watch the query parameters, or was there some other way that you were making sure that it stayed in sync at all times? Yeah, great question. So we we used the use effect to make sure that um, when the query parameters change, the state value changes. So this can happen when a user like goes goes back in history, so they go back in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, then your query parameters might change, and then you need to sync your state in the UI. And the, the same thing can happen when they like go forward in the browser history. The query parameters might also change. So you definitely need to sync both from when the, the sort of query parameters change because of the browser, or when the user changes some kind of filter yeah that could be a tricky problem because you got that like observer loop there because if you if you got the state if you got the your hook which is observing the url is both setting and also responding to url changes you can get into a nasty little loop there if you Mm -hmm. don't watch out i've certainly done that myself (laughs) how do you end up avoiding that that's a great question on top of my head, I think we just checked like if the value itself changes, then we update the state. Okay. So I mean, if if the value stays the same, uh, even though you go back in history, we don't update it, right? Yeah, but sure. I don't think we ran into a problem okay. with that in a practical sense. Yeah, because we we always check that if the value changes, then we update mm. the state. But otherwise, not. Mm. That makes sense. Makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, totally. Pierre, any other notes or, or thoughts on that uh, related to changing the URL that we haven't hit on that you, you wanted to talk about before we move on? Sure. So what we did was we also had like two functions that you provide to this special hook that we created. And one of them is a serialize function. So this will take that state that we, we send into the hook 
it will serialize it so it fits in the URL. So I imagine sending in a Boolean value to the URL parameters. How would you go about doing that? So the serialize function can take whatever state you have, like a Boolean, and then you can tell the hook how that should be represented, uh, the value, how that how the value should be represented in the URL. So because the URL parameters can gotcha. only be yeah. uh, string values, right? So if you pass in a Boolean, you can just send like a mm-hmm. like a true string or something or a false string. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, d- just the other way around when you have the deserialized function, then you tell you you get the you do the other way around where you you check what kind of value is in the string and then turn it uh, to the appropriate value in the state, so to speak. Cool. Awesome. We will make sure to link that up. I, like you said, I think this pattern is pretty common around uh, just e-commerce. Any any sort of site where you need to filter or search oh, yeah. for things, I see it all the time. So we'll make sure to include that in the notes if our listeners want to check that out. Uh, the other article that I know we want to talk about is moving from Redux to React Query, which is, I think, kind of interesting and probably really pertinent for, I don't know, for like us, if nothing, <laughs> if nothing else, it probably is. <laughs> Probably some people listening to this as well. So, yeah, or, you know, Redux is only slightly popular. Uh, yeah, it's only a couple <laughs> yeah. people using these these frameworks right. and yeah. React Query. Yeah. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I have to do the npm trends. Look at the two. Let's see how those go. Yeah. So Pierre, maybe you could start by just giving us an overview of you know why why you decided to make the switch, how you went about it. Maybe you just start by giving us the high level bit, and then we can dive into a little bit of the details. Yeah, sure. So I think it the, the the reason why we started looking at React Query was because a colleague of a, in my company had like a, a presentation about React Query when it sort of first came out, like uh, maybe two years ago or something. The, we thought this was really nice and neat how React Query does a lot of things for you that you have to do manually yourself with um, Redux. And in my project that I was working on at the time, we had like a really messy Redux implementation using a strange pattern called Redux Ducks. Yeah, it was really messy. The whole oh, Redux the duck pattern. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was super messy, and it didn't really fit our application that well. We had like a dashboard application that would change uh, or get updated in real time. So we would have, we, we would want to display kind of values that would sort of update in the background continuously. I think React Query is a, a great way of achieving that kind of real-time effect. Not necessarily like super real-time, like if you've used WebSockets, that's like more real-time. But we, we wanted to keep the client in up-to-date. So when you kind of change between views, the state gets updated. And even if you stay on the same page, the state should be updated after a few minutes or so. Yeah. Well, you can put all kinds of stuff in React Query. But I mean, React Query is primarily for doing like queries and mutations, which is just part of what you do in a Redux store, I guess. Mm -hmm. The question is like, what did you do with the rest of the state? Did you just use basic React hooks for that? Or what's the mic... Tell us about that migration strategy. Yeah, so essentially the pattern that we had was uh, we kind of threw everything into Redux, like even like when you would fetch some simple data that would be yeah. uh, displayed in like one page, we threw it into Redux. 
and it felt uh, I don't know really <laughs> oh, unnecessary. Yeah, the mega, mega store. That's yeah, awesome. exactly. You just throw everything into Redux, oh, yeah. and you have to write so much boilerplate code for everything. And it's at some point you're like, wow, <laughs> what am I doing with my what am I doing with my days? You know, like sure you can build your clients more, I guess, but uh, the code base kind of stinks. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. I think React. Yeah. yeah. So the strategy was we we kind of took the simplest page that would you know just fetch data for that particular page and instead of putting that into the redux store we used react query so we would like try to find the most simple place where we can just remove the redux implementation and then just put react query and then slowly but surely take Mm -hmm. the kind of more difficult parts of the application where let's say you had some state that was being used in several pages and then you would need to kind of it would require more changes to have the React query as well. So yeah, just step by step, trying to figure out when we needed a global state versus something a bit more simple. So we still have a global yeah. state for, and then we use Redux. But for many other parts of the application, we use React query instead. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just. I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question and then we'll just ro- rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on GatherTown. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to GatherTown and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. Okay, so you just realized or you kind of made the decision that we don't actually need to store this stuff in our, our Redux store going forward. We'll just take it out, make the API call for this particular data whenever we need it, and kind of try and minimize the use of Redux. Yeah, exactly. So you can think of like uh, some kind of state that needs global state management. So like if a user is signed in or not, mm-hmm. that that kind of state needs to be accessible throughout the application. Perhaps you want to like display a username in various places throughout the application. So it makes sense mm-hmm. in that 
scenario to have a global state, but for many other things, React Query is might be a better option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now that you are using React Query, are there any features of React Query you were able to start using right away, or like is was that part of the reason to migrate? Is to get just to do some things that weren't really possible with Redux? I would say you can probably do everything with. That you can do with React Query, you can do with Redux, but you you might have to do it yourself. And it's like a trade-off between how much time and effort you want to put into that versus taking something that's already been implemented and yeah, get get on with building other things. So, But some things that we really liked with <laughs> React Query is that you can put some settings into the, the query so you can invalidate certain data after maybe even just a few seconds. So, and then you can like continuously pull data and refresh. Um, let's say you have a dashboard application and you want to kind of show like data that's quite fresh. Then you can adjust the invalidation setting. So it fetches data, let's say once every 30 seconds or something like that. So even if you sit as a user and just look at a dashboard, you don't navigate away. You just sit there and look at your dashboard. And then we can kind of, in the background, make sure that the, the data gets up, updated in the client. So that made a lot of sense for us. Yeah. Well, heaven forbid that I, I, I come to the aid of Redux. But I will say that the Redux toolkit that's come out has significantly reduced the amount of boilerplate. So there's mm-hmm. that. And then also there is a query built into Redux Toolkit now, which is roughly the analog of React Query. So for those folks who are now screaming at their, their cell phones, like, you guys, Redux does all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if, so if, you're, if you want to stick with Redux, please use the React tool, uh, Redux Toolkit. It is, it is phenomenal, honestly. Great. So question for you, is that something that you can either migrate to or integrate with an existing Redux application? Or is it, is it kind of like you have to migrate everything into this new Redux toolkit framework or library? Is that a question for me? Uh, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, actually, it's totally compatible with older, older, I guess, reducers and all of that. Yeah. You know, it, it will handle that. Um, cool. And then for newer ones, you can make newer slices based on its its simplification of stuff. But yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's great when everybody says, "Oh, this new library or this new framework can do it." But it's like, if I've already got the existing one, can it work with what I have, or do I have to just, you know, throw it away and start over? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've had Mark on the show, and he's a great guy, and and you know, it, he is the the uh, yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal library. It's hard to disagree with that but it, it has a past of like the mega stores and people are mm-hmm. like oh oh god yeah, <laughs> yeah and i i yeah, think i have to um, agree with you pierre the yeah i would also say like um i think it also depends on the application and the code base that you're working with like some have implemented redux very well and uh, they've used kind of good tools around redux mm. that makes it super nice to work with so i'm not like i'm not anti-redux by any means but just happened that we I was in this project where the implementation of Redux was just super messy. And yeah, we thought React Query would be a good fit for that project. But I've seen now that there there's the, the Redux ecosystem has like improved over time. So I agree with what you're saying. 
Do you have any other tips on the migration path? Did it go super smoothly? Did you have like an attack pattern for how, like, I don't know how big the app you worked on is, but I know those sorts of migrations for even medium-sized apps can be can be rough, I guess, <laughs> one way of saying it. So I'm, I'm curious how that went and if you have any tips for that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So I think we, we did this in the span of a few months. So yeah, maybe six months or so, but it was kind of a small project. It was only me and another developer. So like, so we tried to combine like feature development with refactoring some some of this state management stuff. And so, so I think yeah, the strategy part is um, just try to find the most simple kind of case in your application where it's, it would be the easiest to change, and then like just evaluate is this good for us and like do we is this beneficial for us or not and if you do think it's a good thing to continue with this then just yeah just keep trying with those simple cases and take this sort of bigger change like changes like when you've gotten some experience yeah so that's my strategy that we had in that project and it worked quite well for us because uh, after a few months of doing this, we realized what, how to structure the application such that it works well for our use case. What was your testing strategy? I mean, did you have a robust kind of unit test or end-to-end test suite that at least you'd know if you mess something up? Yeah, so in this particular project, we didn't have either of those. <laughs> we kind of manually tested everything. So, Whoa! Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Exciting. Yeah, so I mean, it was kind of a smaller project. Leave it on the edge. It was a smaller project in that sense. Like now, we do have some end-to-end testing in that project. But yeah, we we did not have like unit testing suite or something like that. But yeah, definitely that's a good idea to have like React uh, testing library or something like that to just test everything um, before and after and make sure it's... I mean, I think when I go into a refactoring, like job number one is to like make sure that you have all of the test set up so that like if you break something, you at least know, like you can even like make sure that the tests test for the bad results because as sometimes folks are expecting. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Here, is there anything else related to the migration that we haven't touched on? Anything else you learned from doing it? I guess another question I have too is, did you consider any of the other 57 options that are out there for state <laughs> management in in react like i'd be i'd be curious even like some of your reasons for not picking some of the uh, the other alternatives that are out there as well yeah so i do if i remember correctly, correctly there's something called swr which is mm-hmm. similar uh, yeah, sort similar. of library it's like i don't know i would say it's almost the same as react query so i think at the time, it felt like React Query was the more robust version of the two. It had more features. And so I think those were our two options. But we thought React Query made more sense for us. Yeah. How about in terms of like state management? Did you have a look at anything like Sushtand or Recoil or any of those? At the time of uh, doing this migration, that was maybe one and a half years ago. So I don't think Sustand was quite as popular as it is today so yeah we kept with uh, redux uh, in that project yeah but it seems like sustan has gotten a lot of traction right now so 
but it's nothing I've worked with so far. Yeah, it's definitely on the ascendancy for sure. <laughs> yeah, for those playing the home game, that it is kind of like a Redux, but less boilerplatey. And Pierre, you mentioned like storing just like who the user is or things like that. You know, that's the kind of thing that Zustand, if you prefer, or Zustand, uh, Z-U-S-D-A-N-D, um, is very good at. Awesome. So if you were going into a new project today or taking one on, Pierre, what would your recommendations be for somebody who maybe was just getting set up? Would you still say that they should start with Redux? Would you just start with React Query? Would you do? Would you not use any of that and just go straight for the React framework? What are your recommendations after having dealt with, with both all and some? <laughs> Yeah, great question. So I think it's all about the application and what your needs are. So I mean, if you're just starting on like a hobby project, like maybe it's easier to just use the uh, use state hooks that React provides. But if you're, let's say you're building like a full-blown application with, um, you know, user state where, where you kind of have to access the user state on multiple pages, then you need to have a global state manager or at least it makes it easier. And you can use kind of a context state, I guess, or Redux or Zustand. But I'd say for me, I think React Query is an excellent choice for keeping your state fresh on the on different pages. Mm -hmm. So when you kind of like browse between pages, uh, it will make sure that the the data is always sort of late, the latest data. And it will kind of handle a lot of things for you. So you get things for free, which is super nice. So if a user kind of sits on a particular page for, or I don't know, several hours, they will, they will still see, see kind of up-to-date data to some extent. Like they will not see several days old of data or something, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've got to say <laughs> the polling that React Query provides has been such a good thing for some projects that I've been working on lately where it is we've got like a dashboard page but there's new data coming in from the back end regularly and being able to update that without having loading spinners or asking the user to refresh the page and just seeing the values update is awesome and not having to use like some kind of a pub sub model or SaaS service or something like that is great I really I, that's one of my favorite things I think about React Query right now. <laughs> yeah, I yeah refetch intervals just so easy. <laughs> just refetch. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. So Pierre, another thing we we like to get into the show. Another thing we like to talk about on the show sometimes is content creation because we have a lot of listeners who are considering getting into creating their own stuff, putting it out there. So I'm also curious what what inspired you to write these up and put these out there, these posts. Yeah, sure. I think it, writing is a great way of formalizing what you've learned. So if you've learned like a new tool or if you come across some kind of problem that you had to solve in, in some particular way, then writing a, an article around it kind of helps you, yeah, just like showcase what you've learned and what steps you took to solve whatever problem you had at the time. And I think that's quite enjoyable. Yeah, it's a great way to showcase your skills uh, in general. And just posting your articles on, I don't know, Reddit or Hacker News, seeing that someone kind of enjoyed reading your article is, uh, I mean, 
that's really nice. And in general, when you're like applying for jobs or something, it's quite good to have uh, a few posts that kind of showcases that you've thought deeply about certain topics. So I think uh, you just have to start somewhere. And even if like your first few blog articles aren't that good, then you will, yeah, you will get better over time and just enjoy the process, I guess. Yeah. And try to improve your writing. And that's something I've had to do quite a lot. Just try to to improve my writing skills uh, since English is my second language. But uh, yeah, it's super fun. I highly recommend it. Yeah, we are definitely big fans of that. Longtime listeners know that we are we are big proponents of doing the same. It's amazing how things like that can open doors for you that you wouldn't oh, have expected. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. do you have any advice that you would give to people who are just getting into writing potentially about how to pick topics? And it may be like how to narrow down topics because talking about a migration is, you know, could be a very long or multi piece article. So how do you kind of decide how big or how large the scope of of your articles are going to be? Or what advice do you have for for keeping that to not be a a novel? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I think you have to like try and put yourself in the reader's position and like, do I want to read about all the nitty nitty details of everything that was... (laughs) kind of uh, being done in this migration process? Or do you want to see kind of the high level steps that you took? And maybe maybe you want to read about uh, like why this migration was uh, important in this context and these things. So, I mean, for sure you can have like uh, a few blog posts about this process or you can just have uh, a shorter article about it. Um, and I think it's... Uh, Either or, it makes sense. I don't think there's like one true answer in, uh, for this. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard one to have general advice for because it matters so much in the context. Because I know when I'm looking for information online, I'm usually in one of two modes. The one is if I'm having a very specific problem, like I'm getting this error and I need to know what to do. I want yeah. the shortest article humanly possible. Like this is, <laughs> I think. I think that's what makes like Stack Overflow so good, right? Because you just get, you're just, you really do just want the one sentence answer or the one thing to run to fix your problem, which is fine. But that's something to keep in mind when you're writing. If you're writing like a solution to a problem, you want to start by just like giving the answer and then like any background or stuff sort of after that. But for articles like yours with migrating, well, that's the sort of article that you you would look into if you're considering like a really big time investment for your company or your organization or whatever. So in that case, like that detail is kind of what you want, right? You want somebody who's went through that because you're potentially about to invest months worth of time into something. So getting a detailed, nuanced account of how it went is probably what you're looking for if the a person's reading that. So those are like the two extremes, right, in the, in the tech world. And depending on the topic, you might be somewhere in between there. Yeah. Is there anything we, we've missed? Any other articles of yours that you want to discuss? Anything else that, that you wanted to talk with us today? I think that's, that's enough for now. Uh, I think it was interesting to talk about these two topics with you. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Excellent. Well, we will definitely link those up in our show notes uh, so people can check those out. But why don't we move into our picks? 
Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. We'll, we'll cover all of it. Okay. And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The The full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. And Paige, do you want to kick us off today? Sure. I will kick us off with a hardware pick, actually. So mm. for those of you who are newer listeners, I work, uh, TJ and I actually both work for a company that does Internet of Things hardware. And one of the things that we get to do as part of our job is build different projects that show off how you can use our hardware. And some of them are more involved where you need to do actually do some soldering. Some are less involved where you can just you know, put things into a breadboard or quick connector them together. But this past week, and Jack is more familiar with this because he follows me on Twitter, I learned oh, to yeah. do some new soldering with soldering two wires together, which was a new one for me. I'd mostly been soldering, you know, pins to breadboards and things like that. So there was uh, an awesome YouTube channel, which I basically learned how to do everything from uh, stripping the wires, twisting them together soldering them and then even adding a heat shrink wrap to the soldered piece afterwards to protect the newly soldered joint. And it's called Chris Fixes on YouTube. And it was in one video, I learned to do all of this. And it was, you know, 15 minutes long. It was very well laid out. He had really great close ups on the soldering itself showed you how to do it with a soldering gun, showed you how to do it with just the soldering iron that you hold. So it was everything that I needed in one. And I really appreciated that. And we'll definitely be looking back to his channel in the future when I come across new soldering things that I need to do and have not learned yet how to do. So I'm going to recommend his channel as a great place if you need to 
get started with hardware or you just want to, you know, fix something that's loose in your car or your house or whatever, because <laughs> he, he definitely does a really great job of giving you all the information and showing you exactly how it works. Excellent. Cool stuff. Jack, do you want to go next? Sure. Well, my sister-in-law has been in town with us for like the last five weeks. And we got done watching The Lord of the Rings and also House of the Dragon. And, <laughs> you know, we needed a, a, an amuse-bouche, an aperitif to like a palate cleanser. And we ended up re-watching all of the Lord, original Lord of the Rings. And that was just so wonderful and such a big shift, I would say, from the tone of... <laughs> Certainly House of the Dragon. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was great. You know, those are actually really, really great films. And, you know, they'll give you all the feels. I feel like my our, my kids are about to turn 12. And I feel like they're at the age where they could take on the the books and or the movies oh, yeah. at this yeah. at this point. And I, I've been meaning to. I read the books probably when I was their age, like years mm-hmm. and years and years ago. So mm-hmm. I feel like I need to make another it. I like with book series like that, I like to wait long enough that I've lost all the details. Like I, <laughs> I remember the overarching plot, but like all the details are gone. So it kind of really is reading it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I might have to check it out. Yeah. And those movies hold up surprisingly well. for when Oh, they, they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jack, I do need to know, though, House of the Dragon. What, what is your review? Like the, 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 the like 15 Thumbs second up. review. <laughs> Big thumbs up, but wow. I mean, I, I really feel like they've got a, in the writer's room, they have like every episode, they're going to have the thing that's never been on TV before that everybody's going to talk <laughs> okay. about afterwards. <laughs> and yeah, the, you know, episode 10, definitely. Wow. They, I haven't ooh. seen it yet, but I will we'll need to watch through Went that. Full release Scott on that one. <laughs> it's Paige. Have you seen it? No, I'm waiting for oh, it all wow. to okay. come out as well, and then I'm just going to binge it. Okay, well, it's, all, it's all out. Oh, go, well. Go, go, go. It's, uh, <laughs> whoa. It's whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> all right. My pick on a lighter note is the Magic Puzzle <laughs> Company. So my my wife is a big jigsaw puzzle person, and this was recommended to me by one of Paige and my coworkers. And it's a fun little concept because it's, it's it's just a puzzle in a sense, uh, but they have like little Easter eggs in the puzzle and they also have a, su- a surprise ending, which I'll put in air quotes. The puzzle comes with this like secrecy seal that says, don't open this until you're done with the puzzle. And so something about that concept, I think is just really cool. And we haven't, my wife's the puzzle person. So she's, she's going to put this together, but I'm going to be curious about checking that out. So if you're into that sort of stuff, uh, you may want to look into it. It's just the Magic Puzzle Company, and they have they have a bunch of them. So I don't even know which one I got, but all of them have the same same basic feel and concept. I love puzzles, so I'll definitely be checking that out. I might I, I might pick it a second time or give everybody an update <laughs> after it gets put together. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Pierre, do you have any picks for us? Yeah, I might not have that uh, super fun picks, but more on the developer side, something that's been uh, interesting for me over the past few years is kind of uh, how to create like multiplayer experiences on the web. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah. So there's like a few companies that are trying to make it easier for developers to create uh, these multiplayer experiences. So I would give a shout out to Liveblocks. It's a company that makes it easy for 
for you to like create kind of a multiplayer experience on your web app. So you can think of creating some cool. like a, I guess, a mini version of uh, Miro, you know, like the whiteboard application where multiple users can create, yeah, mm. just uh, yeah. post-it notes and whatnot. But you, you can also add that to your application and then have like multiple cursors uh, showing up on your page and people can work together. So I think that's uh, an interesting topic of mine. And there's also some open source version of this, uh, which is called YJS, which I would recommend mm-hmm. if you if you ever want to like create a collab or like add a collaborative text editor into your application, or if you want to kind of sync more kind of complicated data between multiple users in real time. Yeah, excellent. It looks like it's it's the letter Y too, because I, I started by searching WHY, but that's not it. So it's letter YJS. So if you're actively Googling this like me, that's what you're <laughs> going to want to search for. Yeah. But very cool. These these types of apps are always, are, are really, really fun. And they're all, <laughs> if you don't use a tool, they're an absolute nightmare. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Peter. This has been this has been awesome talking with you today. Uh, last question for you: If people want to follow you and such, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at at Peter Edquist, and then yeah, I'm on other social media. But uh, you can also find me on my website, PeerEdquist.com. Perfect. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that is all we have today. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And this has been another episode of React Roundup. All right. See you guys next time. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.